Hello and welcome to another episode of Cycling's Most Intriguing Podcast, Put Your Socks On, or Fizzo, as we're calling it here in the office. Today, and as every day, I'm joined by the cycling legend, Bobby Julie. Mate, how are you doing? Doing great. Hello, everyone. Uh, definitely been an interesting week in the Vuelta, as well as some great racing all around outside of Spain. Um, just wanted to say right off the bat, thank you to all the listeners that have engaged in our Fizzo Sock giveaway. Uh, we'll read that question later in the show, but thank you guys for all participating in that. It's going to be a great show. Let's get it rolling, Gus. Yeah, let's start with uh, what's been going on outside the Vuelta bubble this week and some, I guess, shocking news. Uh, a few hearts in the mouth with Froome posting to Twitter uh, a, d- a couple of days ago that he was back in the hospital suffering a, uh, a cut, a, a cooking incident, I guess, where he had to uh, have a tendon reattached. Man, that guy's, <laughs> that guy's had a bad run of luck. Yeah, as soon as I saw that on Twitter, I was uh, very inquisitive right away. And then I saw that it was a, a simple cooking incident. And, you know, these things happen from time to time. I remember having a teammate that was making a salad. He had a sharp knife on the countertop and he knocked it over and it basically just went straight through his foot. You know, Chris has got a long road ahead of him for recovery and, and we hope he recovers from this, but it looks like he's having some some nice family time at home with the wife and kids, so that's the positive out of it. Exactly, and by all accounts uh, from his team and himself that won't hamper his comeback attempt, which he says is ahead of schedule for the 2020 uh, Tour de France, so let's see how that progresses. Looking forward to following that. Some more amazing news, or I guess uh, shocking news, was uh, Ashton Lambie who we've mentioned uh, back in the Tour de France when we're talking aerodynamics. Uh, He's an American cyclist, uh, track individual pursuit world record holder, and he just defeated his previous benchmark by nearly a second, setting a time of 4.06.4 for the four-kilometer individual pursuit. To those who don't know uh, anything about track racing or the individual pursuit as such, that's from a standing start, four kilometers. So he rode nearly 60 kilometers an hour. By himself unbelievable that that's a mind-blowing record especially from a standing start so you know the last couple of minutes what was he going you know 63 64 yeah. i mean wow that is super impressive but quite a few records fell at that track up there in bolivia at the uh, at this event yeah the world cup it's been uh, it's been an interesting one and, and and i guess it's that time in the cycle the olympic cycle where all the teams start to uh, really ramp up their preparation. I know um, a few of the track team were over here in Europe and they've all, uh, for Australia, and they've all headed back home to start the, the, the final, I guess, year of preparation for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And we're already seeing some, some times falling. So expect a pretty hotly contested Olympic Games uh, next year, which will be exciting to watch. I love the track racing. I love the track racing. So uh, looking forward to that. Richard Carapaz, uh, who has also been in out of luck recently, uh, he crashed immediately prior to the Vuelta and, uh, and was unable to start. He was then scheduled to race the Tour of Britain, which, um, you know, carrying the form that he was prior to the Vuelta, he looked like he would have been uh, in, in contention for the overall. However, he was denied a visa. How often does this happen and, like, what are the chances? I mean, <laughs> as someone who currently has been denied a visa, Ben... Does this happen much in racing? You got to be careful. You know, for some reason, the Colombians uh, always had an issue. And and evidently that that is the same with with maybe most of South America. But getting into certain countries, uh, you got to do the visas and you got to cross the T's and dot the I's. And it's not as easy to get that visa at the last minute like they were trying to put him in the tour of Britain because he couldn't do the tour of Spain. Yeah, the UK is is. Pretty, pretty tight these days, I guess. It is, and, and Carapaz leads us nicely into uh, the transfer section of the show where Ineos, it was rumoured uh, that he was going there and it's been confirmed this week. That's, that's pretty huge news. That's massive. I mean, you know, with a team just dripped with talent already and then to take a guy like Richard Carapaz who won the Tour of Italy back in May just has me wondering, is, is this another super team being being created here. Is this a response to Tom Demelin signing with the Jumbo Visma team? Very interesting. You know, we always thought that there would just be 
one kind of king of the roost with that massive budget with those riders that could do all the grand tours and, and all the classic season. But uh, quickly, Jumbo Visma is making some massive progress. Obviously, their their boss, Richard Pluga, is is on it. He's on his A-game. He's learning from the best, uh, who, in my opinion, is Dave Brailsford, and he seems to be taking a page out of Dave's book. It seems like that. It seems like it's a bit of a war of the GC um, acquiring the, the, the top GC riders, both, you know, waxing and waning. And uh, it'll be. I'm intrigued to see both how Jumbo Visma uh, balance their, you know, their their triage, and then same with uh, with Ineos again, you know. And I mean, like we saw it this year, they were one and two on the podium, uh, Ineos at the Tour de France, but failed to make an imprint on either the Vuelta or the uh, or the Giro. So maybe they're trying to to, you know, find find riders that that, that can just target those races and, and make them their priority. Time will tell. Uh, another well, Dimension Data. Uh, Another couple of big moves going on or, or rumored big moves going on there. First of all was Rolf Aldag to leave the team. And he's been there for a long time and was and was a big part of, of working with Cavendish and developing that lead-out train and also bringing them, I guess, from a pro-conti team up to a, uh, to a very competitive World Tour team very quickly. Uh, and then we saw uh, this year at the Tour de France there was a very public falling out between him and Doug Ryder. What are your thoughts on that? Well, as soon as I saw that, I started to wonder, hmm, where's Mark Cavendish going to go? Because Rolf mm. Aldag is very, very close with, with Mark Cavendish. And we actually heard through the grapevine that uh, perhaps Mark Cavendish is going to Bahrain Mereda. And that, yeah. you know, just to put this out there, if Mark Cavendish is going out to Bahrain Mereda, I wonder where Rolf Aldag is going now that we know that he's left to mention data. I don't know. Hey, I mean, yeah, exactly. Which way would you look? But uh, I think that's sort of, you just kind of just smooths over it there. But Cavendish has been the talk of the town this year, despite not really riding uh, that much and certainly having his fair share of um, setbacks, not only this year, but in the, in the past few years. Looks like he's going to Bahrain Marita to be reignited with Rod Ellingworth, which will be uh, which will be really exciting, I think. And and if anyone can bring out, you know, a bit of a uh, a final couple of seasons um, turn of form, it's definitely it's definitely Rod. Yeah, that would be a storybook ending. You know, definitely bookend that that whole relationship. Rod has been with with Mark Cavendish since he was a young junior. No one else believed in him. Rod did. Right about now, it's kind of that same scenario. Not many people are, you know, putting their stock in, in Mark, but, you know, Rod's been there, and I would expect some success to come out of that relationship if, in fact, it does happen. That's going to be an interesting one. And, uh, and before we go on to talk about what's been a week full of, of racing outside the Volta as well, Walt Poles, uh, he's had a bit of a tough year this year, but he looks like he's also headed to what is going to be called Bahrain McLaren next year. So that team is really buying up a lot of, uh, a lot of good bike riders uh, in what looks to be a bit of a restructuring of that team. Here we go. Could this be the third super team being built? Yeah. You know, a lot of people are talking about salary caps and keeping things the same. Man, I, I'm totally against that. I think if you have the infrastructure and you have a big budget, that's not your fault. You are creating a product that someone wants to invest in. So... The more the merrier. Um, keeping a team like that kind of handcuffed by having a salary cap because there's some teams that don't have the infrastructure, the leadership, and and maybe that that sponsorship value. Um, I I I hate to say it, but you know people want to be a part of successful teams, and we shouldn't all be just anchored into that low budget. If you do things above and beyond what other teams are doing and other and sponsors want to compensate you for that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But here we go, you know, instead of, you know, squashing everybody down, let's bring these other teams up and let's create a sport that, um, you know, rivals, you know, the, the other big sports in, in the world with, with soccer, American football, basketball, where let's just say a single guy is getting a hundred million dollar contracts. And mm -hmm. we're talking about, $40 million contract for not only the whole team, but the whole infrastructure of up to 100 people. Um, it's it's kind of apples and oranges. Absolutely. And look, Bobby, a year ago, I would have I would have disagreed with you there. And I, and I would have said that something needs to be done to level the sport out. But I think over this over this last year, we've seen Jumbo Visma develop. Barre Marita seem to have really started, started to develop. 
UAE have started to develop. You know, um, uh, Alperson, uh, excuse me, not Alperson, um, Sunweb were already kind of hitting their crest and I think that they've got a lot of young guys coming through. So all of a sudden, I think a lot of these programs that have probably, you know, when Team Sky stepped up, what, 10 years ago, they all scrambled for four or five years to figure out what they're doing and then it's taken them another four years or so to kind of, you know, get on the level and, and develop a proper program and now we're seeing the fruits of that. So I think the next couple of years, you know, will be will be exciting as we're seeing a lot of the big GC guys disperse and a lot of new uh, GC talent come through. I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see some great racing and, and, some, and from, some, from some new teams. So, yeah, look, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm keen to, to keep an eye on how the Grand Tours progress next year. Let's talk about the racing this week. There was a couple of uh, some, some big races. We had the Mountain Bike World Cup, but before that we had the, uh, the Bowles Ladies Tour in Holland. Yeah, some exciting racing there. The ladies, the ladies are getting after it, not only on the road, but in the dirt as well. Yeah, with the Bowles ladies to a six stages prologue, won by Annemiek van Vluten, which I believe is her third time winning that, that prologue, uh, which she promptly said after it that she's not going to bother chasing the GC because the rest of the race wasn't hard enough, um, as it has been in, in the past few years, which she's won several times. And then we saw stage one and two, won by Lorana Veebs, I guess. I'm potentially mispronouncing that from uh from a bunch finish so that was uh strong riding by her and we had lisa klein from canyon Sram breakaway franziska coach from sunweb uh also winning from breakaway in stage four shiara consoni in stage five from a small bunch sprint and then the win the overall win went to christine myris uh from bowls domans actually so nice for them the uh title sponsor of the race and the title sponsor of that team winning uh, winning the race there. So, yeah, fantastic racing there in the build-up to the Worlds. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I believe that the circuits at the at that race weren't quite as tough as what we're going to see at the World Championships in a few weeks' time. So it'll be interesting to see if those the same women are at the front at the pointy end of the, the Worlds race in uh, a couple of weeks. Yeah, and we also had the, the Mountain Bike World Cup. Um, that was, again, won by Pauline ferrand Perrault, who just won uh, the World Championships the week before. Uh, she was right ahead of Anna Terpstra and Annie Last. That was impressive. Obviously, the French lady had an amazing run of, of form this late in the year, but when you're looking at the, the overall picture of the World Cup overall champion, the American Kate Courtney won the overall mm-hmm. from Yolanda Neff from, from Holland. Yeah, so the final round of the... the, the... MTV XC World Cup in the US and uh, we see an American champion taking out the overall but uh, Pauline she's uh, definitely showing that she's uh, back in at the top of the game if last week's uh, World Championships victory wasn't enough in the elite men we had Lars Foster winning uh, teammate of Nino Scherter actually who uh, Lars has had a bit of an up and down season this year and so um, it was great to see him win and Nino seemed to be equally as excited uh, for him at the end there. And third place was Maximi Marcotte, Marotte, sorry. Um, and that gave uh, Schurter the overall win ahead of Vanderpol, who actually didn't ride uh, three races this season, including the World Championships and including this weekend. So, you know, Nino Schurter, overall victor there, but what, what could have been if Vanderpol had ridden all the rounds? I guess we'll never, I guess we'll never know. Um, and you know, switching over to the Tour of Britain, and which is where seeing... which is ver- where <laughs> Vanderpool was. That's the reason why he wasn't at those those two last events, right? He was doing the Tour of Britain. Exactly right. And uh, and today's stage there, we saw him finishing in second and being very aggressive overall. But uh, the first stage won by again Jumbo Visma and Gronewagen. Fantastic race win there. Yeah, this this team is winning left, right, and center, and that's the way that it goes. You know, when you when you put down a successful program with the riders that are are motivated regardless where they are you often see these you know double stage wins a, a win in the vuelta and a win in tour of britain or you know sometimes a, a triple program and one team winning all those as well and it'd be interesting i i haven't looked at the the tally this year but yumba visma is definitely up there in terms of of team team wins this year they've They've been uh, on the top step of the podium quite a few times. Absolutely. And we saw uh, the second stage was won by Matteo Trenton, who uh, last won a stage of the Tour de France we saw. He won that in a bunch sprint. So that was that was, uh, that was was some aggressive racing by the Mitchelton-Scott. And then today, Groenewagen back on top uh, with the Vanderpol 
in second place. So a few more hard days to come in that race. But uh, so far, it's been small bunch sprints and some pretty tight racing. Yeah, we also had the, the Brussels Cycling Classic, which was won by Caleb Ewan, you know, the, the guy that won three stages in the Tour de France. He was a green jersey contender for a, a while. Um, this was his last race of the year. I actually saw a picture of him on, on social media today heading off to, to holidays. And man, this guy has earned it. Ten, mm. ten wins, you know, come, it's, it's always difficult. You know, he switched from Michelton Scott to Lotto uh, Sudal this year. And a lot of the times that transition is, is tricky. But Caleb, hats off to you and, and the entire team there for, for having an amazing season. Enjoy your holiday. Absolutely. And if anyone's seen the photo finish of this stage, uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. There's six guys lined out perfectly spaced across the road, all throwing for the victory. Um, so it just goes to show you that the, the, sprit, the, the, the crop of sprinters that is uh, currently in the, in the pro peloton is very ripe. Let's move on to the main part of the show, and that is a recap of what was an epic week at the Vuelta. But before we do that, let's hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of Fizzo is made possible with the support of Cyrus, a manufacturer of bike accessories committed to making their products in Madison, Wisconsin, USA. Makers of car racks, bike infrastructure, and cycle ops bike trainers, Saris Origins are firmly rooted in the unwavering dedication to the bicycle, and more importantly, to the quest to set cyclists free to get in touch with the world around them. Whether riding to and from work, in a virtual environment, or wherever the compass may lead, Saris range of products have freed millions to experience the power of the bike and ride without limits. To learn more, visit saris.com. After what was a tough week in La Vuelta, the second week was no different with an ITT, multiple mountaintop finishes, all of which fell among irregular hilly stages making for some revelatory, revelatory excuse me, racing. And uh, finally, at the end of that week, I guess a slightly more clear picture of who will be wearing red in Madrid. Bobby, what a week that it was. Yeah, it was a good one. No doubt about it. Um, starting off with the time trial, we kind of touched on that during the last episode, and we were right. Um, Rolick, it wasn't just seconds that he put on as GC contenders. It was it was minutes. Um, you know, he put he put what one one forty into Valverde. He put mm-hmm. two minutes into Lopez. Um, over three minutes to three. To, to Quintana. Um, you know, but our boy Podicar. You know, he, he started off with a very fast first split, which um, had me a little excited. But then I knew because of the, the start of that, that time trial was uphill that he would have to, um, you know, kind of trim the sails a little bit, which he did. He faded a little bit, but for a, a rider in his first Grand Tour doing a time trial and finishing 11th at 130. Uh, I, w- I was quite impressed with the maturity that he showed for a very, very tricky time trial like that. A couple of other notable performances there. New Zealander Paddy Bevan uh, came in in second, was unlucky to to not take the win there with Rogelick storming by right at the last second. And American Lawson Craddock in fourth place. I feel like it's been a couple of years coming, not coming back, but kind of coming back for, for Lawson. We saw, you know, he had some really... Po- uh, really powerful performances a few years back in races like uh, Volta Catalunya, the Vuelta, and uh, and then he kind of went off the boil a little bit. So good to see him back at the forefront. Yeah, he didn't make the selection for the tour this year, so you know he kept his powder dry. He did uh, tour of Utah in preparation and and came out with a good time trial. Um, but going back to Patty Bevan, he mm-hmm. he finished in the, he was in the hot seat for a while, and when he came through, he beat R- Remy Cavagna by like less than a, less than two seconds. And then you're on the po- you're up there in the hot seat and Remy did not look very happy getting off that, that podium of, <laughs> of the hot seat, did he? So you're sitting there like, oh my gosh, I lost the time trial by two seconds. But then when, when Rolick came in and blitzed the time of Patty Bevan, I think that made Cavanya feel a little bit better. Like, okay, you know, we got beat. But when you when you lose a time trial like that by one or two seconds, man, it's you're just you're not sleeping that night. You're going over and over in your head. Where could I have gotten that one or two seconds? Where where I got that one or two seconds? But if you get beat by twenty five seconds, you're just like, okay, I got it. Yeah, I was beat fair and square, and it was quite a technical time trial. And as we predicted, um, 
majorly decisive and, and, and it became apparent that it was now Rogelik's race to lose and, uh, and a tough race to lose it would be from that position that he had in the finish there, but not all unlosable. Uh, looking at the other kind of uh, riders from Jumba Visma, mm-hmm. when was the last time that you saw Tony Martin finishing 151st out of 166 riders in a time trial? I don't think that's ever happened because if he was that bad, he never would have started. But it just goes to show you they're already thinking about saving their bullets for later, later in the week. You know, hey, Tony, we know that you're a three-time world champion in the time trial, but you know what? We have bigger fish to fry. We need you, uh, you know, strong man on the front, and that he was, which we'll get into a little bit later. And, you know, giving a little bit of a, a rest day to a rider like him, a, a rider like Sepp Kuss, a rider like Nielsen Paulus, um, they, they've got a plan and they're executing it very, very well. And it started right there in the time trial. Stage 11, hilly stage, uh, great win there by the small uh, Basque team in the Basque region, Mikel Itruya. Itru- Itru- yeah, good luck pronouncing pronouncing those Basque <laughs> names. Uh, you get a you get a, a hall pass for all that pronunciation for those guys. Yeah, uh, but another good ride day after his time trial performance for Lawson. There, he uh, finished third on the stage. But you know, I think those guys let that stage slip away a little bit. Um, they played a bit of cat and mouse, perhaps too much, and uh, and we saw a bit of an upset victory there. But nonetheless, good to see uh, Lawson at the front again. Stage twelve. I just wanted to bring. I just wanted to talk about this stage because last week I picked uh, Philip Gilbert for this stage win, and he won it. <laughs> so I'm just going to have my moment to be like, "Yep, called it." Um, but he's man, he's stomping at the moment. So I, it was only a matter of time, I think, before he won a stage at this race. Yeah, and what a what a fast start. I mean, I think they got uh, they had like a 49 kilometer average through the the first 100k. And that doesn't yeah. happen very often, especially in the Basque region. But, you know, it, it showed that, you know, the, the, t- the, the rest day, then the time trial, then a relatively easier day because the Peloton did finish 19 minutes behind uh, the day before that it was, it was all on. Like when you don't see a breakaway established for 100 kilometers, you know that, that it's fast and furious up in the front, no doubt about it. But I mean, Phil, what can you say about him? I mean, he, he confirmed the form that he's been showing lately with a, with a super mm. solo win. But he was pushed all the way to the end by those wild card teams. And, you know, people always say when, you know, a few months before, or maybe even the winter before, like, oh, why did those teams get selected? But those wild card teams have been putting on a show so far in the Vuelta. And those two guys collaborated very well and pushed Philippe, Philippe Gilbert who this was his 10th Grand, Grand Tour stage win yep. uh, on top of everything else that he's done, all the, all the <laughs> way to the line, classic. all the way to the line. Philippe must have been kind of questioning the, the gaps that were coming through the race radio saying, really? Really? Yeah, but, you know, exactly right. Great, great for them. Great for them. Uh, a little side note, a little personal side note about Bilbao. Bilbao is one of the coolest towns, and mm. they have the massive Guggenheim Museum there. And just a personal side note to all you young men and young ladies out there. During the tour of the Basque Country, we stayed in the hotel right across the street from the Guggenheim. And, of course, I could see it out my window. Of course, I was curious. But, you know, I'm like, oh, no, I got to stay in bed. You know, I always had that thing. If, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you're standing, you should be sitting. If, if you're sitting, you should be laying down. But let me tell you. I regret the fact that I didn't walk across the street and just walk around that Guggenheim Museum. So to all you young men and young ladies out there, if you have an opportunity um, to, to visit these places and you're right across the street, you know, after your rub or before your rub, go and see these places because uh, there's, there's more to, to, uh, to life than sitting in your room with, um, you know, reading a book with your, your feet up on the wall. I love, I love that. I love that place. Definitely worth the trip. Friday, stage 13. Uh, it was September the 6th, but Friday the 13th at the Vuelta. And what a, what a stage. That, that finishing climb was just ridiculous. Yeah, just seeing the pictures of those guys trying to get up those climbs, uh, especially a couple of those sectors that, that were up to 25% in gradient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they actually, it was like a cement road and they actually had to cut grooves down the middle of the road <laughs> so that there'd be a little bit more traction, not for the, for the cyclists, of course, but for, for any vehicle that's trying to get up there. 
But, uh, you know, that big break of 29 riders got away. Uh, it all came back for that, that super steep finishing climb. And wow, what a day for Slovenia. I mean, to have uh, Tajik, Podokar, and, and Rolik go 1-2, dominate that final climb, they must have been uh, partying in the streets after that one. After Pogacar's win, you know, a week ago uh, on, on Sunday, winning the mountaintop finish in Andorra, and then his performance, you know, his performance in the time trial blew me away. I thought, ah, no, he's got, you know, two good weeks. But then when I saw this, I, I must admit I, I didn't expect it. Not only did I not expect it, I just I really thought that he would implode on on today's stage. And not only did he not implode, but he uh, he took the stage win and put himself onto the podium, and kind of looks like super solid. My fi- my feelings are that there's yeah that that he's he's not going to be able to go the distance. That there's got to be a bad day in here. Um, but with every day he, he's he's been defying that and uh, impressive riding by him and impressive riding by Rogelik as well. You know like. Uh, he the first week he was good on he was good on the climbs but he was by no means you know capable of matching uh, Lopez and and uh, and Quintana in their aggression um, but evidently in the second week he's got a little more gas and uh, and he's able to to distance him not only in the TT but on the climbs as well yeah and Podokar actually took over the lead for the young riders jersey because they took he took so much time on on Lopez but um, you said something very interesting there that. That is, is quite natural, and on a nor- with talking about a normal person in his first Grand Tour, I'd probably agree with you. Like, when is he going to have a bad day and, and, and just, just kind of collapse or at least lose some places in GC? So I see your reasoning there, but I, I totally I, I disagree. I think this kid, he has showed us so much mental maturity, physical strength from the Tour of California that— Time after time, he has impressed us. And I think he's going to be one of those kids that don't have a bad day, that is able to go in his first grand tour and get on the podium. I mean, he's moving up every day. He was, you know, fifth place, fourth place. Now he's third. I I just see him being special. And this is the the perfect race. You know, the the last week isn't too difficult. Um, So I, I see him getting better and, and being on the podium in, in Madrid. There's no doubt he is special, Bobby, but I, I have to disagree with you there. I think that um, he's going he's, he's gonna to have a big, uh, a big meltdown. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit. We've got a few more stages to cover from this week, but uh, looking at that third week, there's still some really hard stages, and I think that, uh, you know, I think he's, just, he's, he's been running hot, he's been aggressive, uh, and I think that he's just going gonna to come apart on one of these days and, and, and lose, you know you know, five, six minutes or something. But anyway, I guess time will tell. We'll be able to, we'll be able to talk about this next week. We'll see, we'll see who was right. Stage 14, flat stage. The sprinters teams decided uh, to step up and bring it back together. Bennett was the winner with a huge crash in the final kilometre, but uh, Bennett was a runaway winner there. Fortunately, no one in the, uh, in the general classification was severely injured, but unfortunately, Luca Mezek from uh, Mitchelton Scott came down there. Uh, one of the only times we've seen the, the the sprinters have a real opportunity, and also to the sprinting teams take the reins and, and make sure that that came back together for a sprint finish. Yeah, with those six guys that were in the breakaway, they 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 had I think maximum two and a half minutes. You're just up there in the breakaway, going why? You know, all all race they've <laughs> yeah. been given these these breakaways five, ten, fifteen, even twenty minutes. And you're up there just batting your head against the wall, waiting for the inevitable to happen. So I kind of felt sorry for those those six guys in the breakaway that just never got the leash that they were hoping for. But yeah, great, great sprint win again by Sam Bennett um, coming away with it after having to dig pretty hard to kit, catch um, Richese and uh, Vandersand in, in that very reduced group at the, at the finish due to that crash. Yeah, exactly. And then Sunday saw back to the mountains again and... Uh, a little different race today. We saw Jumbo Visma at the front, but it wasn't the usual Primoz Roglic up there. It was the young Sepp Kuss, who we've spoken about a lot over the over the course of the Vuelta. And um, man, this guy, you know, putting the brake to uh, to be able to patrol it and, and make sure that he uh, was able to take care of uh, anything that potentially would go wrong with an attack from Movistar or Astana. Um, but once the brake had enough leeway, it was just up to him to, uh, he had free range and uh, attack from the very bottom of the final climb and 
commanding victory with a stage win there. Uh, man, this was this was a really epic ride and a really exciting stage. Yeah, it was quite interesting. You know, the breakaway got up the road and, you know, there was teams represented in the front basically to be that that springboard for their for their leaders on the final climb. But Yuma um, Visma rode a very intelligent race, I think. They, they didn't bring it back. They didn't really care about um, going for the stage win with, with Rolick. And just ironically, uh, the day before, I was traveling to an event with, with uh, my two buddies, Christian and George. And George and I were talking about the American riders and, you know, of course, Lawson with his two back-to-back uh, good stages. And I just said to him, I said, man, I'm just so bummed to see like Sepkus and Nielsen Paulus uh, riding so well, yet on a team where they're never going to have their chance to, to shine. And this made my day, you know, watching this stage and seeing him, he, he probably felt like he hit the lottery because he was up there waiting like, okay, you know, when the group gets closer, I'm going to have to wait and go back and work for, for Primo's. But he had his opportunity and he just bossed it. I mean, from the bottom of that climb, you could see the confidence, you know, he, he, he didn't go right away. He wasn't trying to drive it. But when, when the director in the car or the management came over the radio and gave him uh, free reign to do what he could do. Uh, he took full advantage of it. And that's so much of this sport is, you know, you're always saying, oh, I wish I would have had a chance. I wish I would have had a chance, but I never get my chance. Well, he got his chance and he absolutely took advantage of that opportunity. And man, to see a young kid ride and actually enjoy winning his first grand tour stage most most guys are just you know peeing in their pants he's slapping high fives um i I was half expecting him to do a wheelie going up that that finale there um but it, it was just great to see i mean this kid is from durango colorado he came from mountain biking you know now mountain biking is mm-hmm. is is a is a craze, right? If you ride a mountain bike or, or a cyclocross bike, you can ride on the road. But when he came, it, it wasn't quite like that. Um, his father was a cross country skier and is also a professor at uh, the Fort Lewis College there. Um, he graduated college. How many kids yeah. his age that, that race at this level, win a stage of the Grand Tour, got to graduate college before they came into the sport? Um, he graduated in 2017. He was picked up by um, Rally, which is run by Jonas Carney. Jonas Carney gave him some, obviously, some very good uh, tutelage there. And he was thus uh, picked up by the Jumba Visma team um, uh, last year. And I had the the honor of watching him from one of the team cars when I was there with with George Hincapie's Hincapie Halawesco uh, Mm -hmm. cycling team last year in the Tour of Utah. This kid was on a totally different level. I'm like, okay, I've heard that he's good, but in that race, he was phenomenal. But he may have overcooked it a little bit because when he went to the Vuelta, he was, he was pretty good in the first week, and then he just crumbled. Um, but he learned from that. He, you know, he did the Giro this year, um, you know, did the Dauphiné, and now came in from, from the first day. You could see that he was, he was ready to race. Unfortunately, they had that, that bad crash in the, in the team time trial on the first stage. But, um, you know, this, this kid is taking advantage of these opportunities. And as an American, it's just so great to, to have somebody to root for. So this guy, you know, the sky's the limit. He's going to learn from a very good team. Um, I hope he doesn't get kind of pigeonholed into being uh, just that worker in the mountains. And he continues to learn, continues how to time trial. And, and the same goes for, for Nielsen Paulus. I mean, these, these two kids are definitely the part of the future of American cycling and it's it's just great to see yeah absolutely I know Sepp he's uh he's a real he's a real he's a really good kid and um I think his development should be um for any other young kids that are coming through now and that want to be pro bike riders for any parents that have kids that want to be not even pro bike riders just professional athletes take a look at his story and the way he came through and take note of it you don't have to be a Tadek Potokar, you know, you don't have to be the best at 20, you don't have to be the best at 18 or 19, you're allowed to get an education, you're allowed to go to college, you're allowed to have fun, and, um, and you know, you're allowed to develop as a human being as well as a kid, and, and we saw really mature riding, um, followed by him sculling a beer on the podium, <laughs> which was awesome, I thought, you know, like this kid, he's, he's a level-headed kid, and I think he's going to have a huge career, so it was really cool to see that. Well, he did go to see you in Boulder, 
uh, <laughs> go Buffs. They they started the season two and zero. Oh. Um, so maybe that's where he learned how to skull a beer so well uh, in college, and that's why the rest of us can't do it because we never did that. Um, no but, doubt, no doubt. You know, getting getting back to the nuts and bolts of the stage a little bit. Um, second place was Ruben Guerrero, and third mm-hmm. place was Teo Gegenhardt, um, one of our yeah. favorite guys that have been on the show before. Um, seeing these three young guys, they're between 24 and 25. I think actually Sepkus is having his 25th birthday um, in a couple days here. Mm-hmm. Uh, going one, two, three on on a on an uphill, very hard uphill mountain day in the Vuelta is, is awesome to see. Absolutely. But what was happening behind was also pretty impressive. Um, so they had they they gave Sep some leeway. He wins the stage, but that's always a risk, right? Should we have kept him? to stay with, with Rolick and very, very infrequently do you get to, you know, have your cake and eat it too. But on this day, they were able to do just that because Valverde attacked and Rolick was the only one that could follow. And they wound up putting a lot of the big GC guys in difficulty, including Podicar and, and Lopez. They put 40 seconds into them. Um, you know, these two guys are the big young guns and, um, you know, they, they suffered a little bit today. So are we starting to see some cracks in those young guys compared to those older, more experienced, you know, only time will tell, but, uh, again, great ride by, by Sepp Kuss and, um, his entire team. They, they absolutely, they, they absolutely bossed it today. And that leads us into Monday's stage, uh, today's stage, which is before the rest day. And as you just said, you know, yesterday we saw Valverde attacking from the bottom of the climb and, uh, and winning the stage, uh, not winning the stage, sorry, and putting time into to Lopez and Pogacar. And then today we saw the exact opposite, right? And that, you know, in this GC race, it's seeming that, you know, Rogelik is really the only sound one. And, uh, and everybody, you know, in that top four, top five, they're up and down, up and down, which is making for great racing. Um, and, you know, we saw that today, which was a, a mountaintop stage, 144K, 17-kilometer long final climb. Um, but I guess the, uh, the champagne goes to Astana today and Fuglsang. Yeah, um, just the day before with, with Koos and, and Rolik taking time, and, and today they had the, the, the kind of the same thing with with. Astana, you know, they had a guy mm-hmm. in the break and, you know, Jakob has had an amazing season. Uh, he, he didn't have the best tour de France to say the least, but, um, you know, he's been working hard for Lopez. He had his opportunity. He had a teammate in the break that drove the lower slopes of the climb. Um, when he went away, I thought that Teo Gegenhardt was going to go with him and, you know, Teo, what, what a great two days he's had in the mountains, you know, finishing third yesterday and, and second today, but very just just super riding by, by Jakob and you know this this climb was very very long it wasn't so steep so maybe maybe that that's what helped him but you know seeing these guys go up that climb in some of the sections in the big ring on mm-hmm. the drops was was pretty impressive but again you know that break had nine minutes at the base of the final climb it, it was a horse category climb very very long and when when he went with 7k to go uh, it was only Bram, uh, Gianluca Brambilla from Trek Segrafredo that was able to follow. And then the next time you panned, uh, you know, they, they went back and looked at the at the uh, the peloton. And w- when they came back, Jakob was alone. Brambilla was back and Teo was like in between. So I, I was really rooting for both those guys. I, I wanted to see Teo make contact and go for his first Grand Tours uh, win. But but Jakob Fulsong is, is a fantastic guy. I mean, just oozes class. I mean, his pedal stroke is like yeah. a bike a bike fitter's dream you know like that's the template that you want to use when you when you're looking at a guy pedal his bike but um yeah Podicar and and superman lopez making up a little bit of time on valverde i think it was just over 20 seconds but um you know they every little bit counts and the closer we get to madrid and looking at the final week which we'll get to in a second uh, those opportunities to gain time and to get onto the podium in Madrid are, are getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, I thought uh, Pogacar yesterday when he sort of lost a bit of time there to Valverde, I thought maybe, you know, today he was going to come completely undone. But again, I ate my words as with Lopez, who they bounced back. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting final week. And uh, so that goes back to what I just said about him being special and him not having that bad day because he could have thrown 
all of his toys out of the stroller and said, you know, that's it. I can't do it. Mentally, coming back and performing the way that he performed today, holy cow. I'm telling you, this kid is going to make it all the way to Paris and he's going to be on the podium. Or all the way to Madrid, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. and, but eventually and, and, Paris. Eventually and, and, Paris, I reckon. And Paris is definitely in his future. Absolutely. Before we move on to uh, just touch on what's gonna what's coming up in the final week uh, of what's been an absolutely grueling vuelta we have a question uh from one of our fans that uh you know if you guys uh reach out to us uh via email superfan at velonews.com or to either bobby or myself on uh on social media at bobby Zulik, uh or myself at that is gus with any questions, and if we read them out on the show, we will send you a very exclusive pair of Fizzo socks, which are super badass. So this week, our question is from Tim F. And he asks, I read that Eddie Merckx was obsessive about his bike fit and would carry an Allen key on most rides to make minor adjustments. How often do modern riders change their saddle height, stem length, or stack height and is a guy like Chris Froome even allowed to make bike adjustments without consulting a team of experts? A couple of good questions there, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this this is always this cracks me. Um, <laughs> I I was a guy that that man set it and forget it. You know, you want your bike to fit you. You don't want to make little micro adjustments for you to fit the bike on that particular day. If something feels wrong and all your measurements are the same, maybe you should go to the physio or the osteo and look at, to see your, your alignment or something like that. But I have seen guys bring Allen keys out on the road and, you know, not to call them out, but Mark Cavendish was, you know, I was, my jaw dropped when I saw him pull over to the side of the road and he's changing his cleats, like basically every stage or his saddle height, his seat height, uh, his, his four aft position. And you know, he'd always say, oh, no, you know, it, it's a flatter day, so I'm going to do this. And I was like, whoa, I had never seen that before. <laughs> so there, there are guys that are tinkerers. I wasn't one. I don't like seeing the tinkering going on. Um, I'm not at all against, you know, having an Allen key in, in your pocket in case your saddle slips. But, um, you know, fitting your, your bike to fit you um, on, on that particular day. It, or I'm sorry for having you fit your bike for that particular day and then changing it the next, I think is just a recipe for disaster. Um, a guy like Chris Frome, if he's allowed to make bike adjustments, I mean, he can pretty much do anything he wants now, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I think he's, he's mature enough to, to probably set it and forget it as well. I would be very surprised if at this day and age he's out uh, tinkering around. Um, you know, obviously when he, when he's coming on the, on the comeback trail, he may have some issues and, and be changing position a little bit, but normally, normally no, uh, most pro riders, um, keep their position the same. And I think it's worth noting too, that whilst, um, bike position is becoming more and more of a science for every, you know, guy that matches, um, the perfect, you know, bike position, there's someone who's really good that like you look at their position and you're like that that shouldn't work you know what i mean um so yeah so i think that it's like it's a little bit horses for courses and 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 there are guys who alter their stuff all the time and then there's guys who you know don't care about their their saddle height or whatever and they just jump on the bike and go for it and you know they're coming first they might come first and second in the race you know what i mean so yeah i think it's uh that's an interesting one because as as this sport becomes more and more for more and more defined um we're seeing that like questions like this become more and more prominent and uh, and affect results and also just the psyche of, of people who ride bikes you know they think oh my position's wrong or this yeah. or that or the other when half what the about you Gus were you a tinkerer now. are you I a used tinkerer? to be yeah no not anymore I uh I I, I well okay there's not a lot I can't care about when I when I ride but uh but saddle height and then and then behind the bottom bracket and and is I'm pretty like certain about um, but I know like, like when I used to race, I was very, very meticulous. Um, and so is my brother. My brother would travel with the seat, with his, with his seat post from his training bike to his race bike with him, um, between races. And I used to do that a little bit, but I was never quite as extreme, but, <laughs> but nowadays, yeah, I just, I just get on the bike and go, to be honest. Let's look at the week coming up, uh, the final week of the Vuelta. 
And after what has been two weeks in, in hell, the final week doesn't look as gnarly as, say, something like the Tour de France, but coming off the back of what they are coming off of, it's, it's still very, very solid. Um, we're seeing Wednesday stage, stage 17, flat but long, 220Ks. Um, a little bit lumpy, I reckon this one's, this one's a sprint day. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, I have to say that being a day after the rest day, um, after two hard weeks of racing, there, there are still a lot of teams that, that need to win a stage, that want to win a stage. Um, so I, I definitely see a breakaway getting up the road. I see them giving them a very short leash and it, it coming down to, to a sprint. You know, this is rewarding the, the sprinters for, for pulling their, their arses up these, these big climbs and, um, you know, getting ready for the world championships. I think this week is very important for those, for those guys. Exactly right. And then Thursday, we're back in the mountains with another brutal stage, uh, four cat ones on a bit of a uh, just up, down, up, down, up, down all day with a 22 kilometer downhill to the finish. It kind of provides a um, it provides the opportunity to potentially flip this race on, on its head if someone's having a bad day deep into the race. Yeah, with those four Cat 1 climbs, I mean, like you said, it's it's not going to be easy. But this is where Jumba Visma has to be smart with their efforts. And that's they've been doing it perfectly so far. Uh, the, I, you know, that downhill on the penultimate, after the penultimate climb, um, well, actually, it's the final climb, but there is, you know, so, uh, an uphill finish of uh, three kilometers at three percent. I think that's going to be pretty important because if that breakaway is close enough, I, I see some action happening on, on that last category one climb um, because it's, it's not all downhill. Uh, it's, it's kind of rolling and then has that, that finishing, finishing, finishing 3K climb. So there could be a spanner thrown in the works here. Um, very unpredictable stage. Jumbo Visma is going to have to keep their head on a swivel, but looking at the way that they've been doing things so far, I, I and and the way that Rolick is 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 pedaling his bicycle, looks so darn solid. Um, I think I don't think we'll see much change on this day. No, I think you're right there. I think it's going to be pretty hard pressed uh, unless someone really does take a long bomb. Uh, I'm looking at Movistar to try something, but everyone's pretty tired, so time will tell. Friday, another flat one, relatively short. Uh, I think a bunch sprint again, uh, pretty straightforward. I have to agree with you. There's there's one cat three very early in the stage, and then it's flat to rolling the the rest of the way. Uh, the breakaway will establish, but again, totally controlled. Um, the last K is is uphill, mm -hmm. and it goes through. It finishes in one of the coolest villages in all of Spain, Avia. And if you ever have the chance, uh, put a villa on your must-see list because this is an old walled city kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Carlos Sastra, uh, an old teammate of mine and winner of the Tour de France in 2008, he used to live there. I'm not sure if he lives there now. I haven't spoken to him in a while, but a villa is, is beautiful. So put that on the, the, the bucket list. And then we're seeing uh, the final decisive stage, the second last stage of the race, Saturday, uh, the fourteenth of September, stage twenty. This one's another. This one's a bit savage. It's uh, completely devoid of any flat road. It is just up, down, up, down, up, down with a, with some big climbs, couple cat threes, uh, and a final cat one at the finish there. Um, oh, well, sorry, excuse me, penultimate climb, cat one, and then finishing on a cat three. It's going to be, if, yeah, it, it could be a day where I don't think um, the aggression is going to necessarily blow it apart, but I think that if you're tired, some guys might come apart there and we might see a few, you know, a few guys in that top five, in that top ten maybe drop, drop out. What do you reckon? Yeah, this one's for all the marbles. Uh, if you have anything left, you got to throw haymakers left, right, and center. <laughs> you know, to, to guys like Rolick, um, Potokar, Valverde, you know they're going to be watching each other and you know that podium spot is 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 super important and it's one of those things that we've seen kind of develop here we see you know Rolick kind of marking Valverde we see Podicar kind of marking Lopez we see uh the the new king of the mountains Bouchard marking Mandrazio this mm -hmm. is going to go on and on and on you know there's going to be these little alliances as well and we can't forget that alliance between the two Slovenians Rolick and, and Podicar. So, yeah. um, 
you know, with 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 a cat one, cat two, cat two, cat three, cat one combination, and then finishing on a cat three. Um, and those last couple of climbs are at some pretty decent altitude. If you have ev- anything, and I'm talking the guys in fourth, fifth, sixth, all the way to to tenth. This is the day to do it, but I think that Jumba Visma is super strong. Rolik is super solid, and yeah, after today's stage, he'll just take that little jaunt down into Madrid and be crowned the 2019 La Vuelta champion. Yeah, I'm excited to see that stage, and I, I you know, whilst I, I don't uh, begrudge Rogelik anything, I hope that we get to see a little bit of action uh, on the final race day just for, you know, entertainment's sake. The final stage into Madrid, bit of a procession, short stage, few laps around, uh, few laps around town there. Usually a sprint finish. I mean, it's got to be Bennett or or, or Jakobsen uh, as as an outsider for the finish there, and and that could see Bennett maybe pick up three, four stage wins this race. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Bennett is is definitely strong, definitely confident. I hope he's found a team by now, for goodness sake. <laughs> Uh, but but um, I think yeah he'll be celebrating on the on the podium as will Rolick. Exactly right, and that brings us to the end of another episode of the Put Your Socks on Vuelta Show. To all our listeners out there, thank you so much. You guys have been supporting us as we've been steadily growing in the cycling podcast world, and uh, I feel like Bobby and I are hitting our straps. So thank you very much for for supporting us and keep tuning in. Uh, you can get to us on iTunes. We're now on our own. Uh, we're no longer under the Vela News Voices um, subscription. We're under Put Your Socks On. Uh, so just go into the search bar on uh, Apple Podcasts, type in Put Your Socks On, and make sure you subscribe, review, leave us a rating, and tell all of your friends to tune in to what is the, well, it's the best cycling podcast there is going around. What do you reckon, Bobby? <laughs> I, I won't disagree with you there. Yeah. Thanks, Gus. Again, great show. Uh, thanks to all the listeners out there. We're going to please join us uh, next Monday, September the 16th. We're going to wrap up the Vuelta as well as update everyone on what happened at the one day world tour events up in Canada. Uh, we got a, we'll have a lot of other news as well. So um, thank you for listening. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on.